Good evening. If you see any radiant glow happening up here, it's, it's not Moses that's just come down from Mount Sinai. I've got a, an iPad. And it's just a reflection, just in case you're wondering. Let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we rejoice, dear Lord, to, to know you and to meet with you even here, dear Father, within our own hearts. And we enjoy so much your company, dear Father. We enjoy your company amongst our brethren and talking about the things of God, talking about the things that matter, dear Lord. And it's such a blessing to us, dear Father, and it warms our heart, dear Lord, and we, we truly do rejoice in it. Pray, dear Lord, that you'd be with me this evening as I preach your word and pray, dear Father, most importantly, that you'll be with my friends that are here, brethren, those that are longing to know you, dear Lord, as well. I ask you, dear Father, you would open their hearts and their minds, that they would receive the wonderful truth of the word of God and they would indeed surrender their heart to your will. Praise you, dear Lord, for this evening. We thank you again in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Title to this evening's sermon is Not thy will, but mine be done. Not thy will, but mine be done. There's three main points. I'm going to give them to you ahead of time, so that way you don't miss them. First one is a perfect will, our aim. That is our aim. A perfect will, our aim. The second point is a contrasted will, our status. The third one is a spirit that is willing, our start. I was listening to everybody giving a bit of a testimony and I thought I'd, I'd give you one because it sort of fits in a sort of way. I like giving my testimony anyway, it's good fun. But some of you already know it, some of you already know, I was, um, I was born at a young age. I was a, they still laugh, I, I know, but, but it's true, it's true, it might not have been the case for you. But it was a pretty traumatic experience, you have to understand, because, see, before that, I, um, I was living quite a sheltered life. I was comfortable, never got hungry, I was... Sort of the food was on tap. <laughs> and uh, I had room to move. I, I was, I truly was the master of, of my own universe. I really was. And, and I realised something else at that time, that it was truly, truly, truly all about me. <laughs> it was all about me. Anyway, before long, I realised that I was starting to outgrow my abode there and it wasn't long before the walls really started to close in on me. <laughs> really started to turn my whole world upside down. <laughs> it's true. It wasn't long before I was getting <laughs> pressured to move out. <laughs> That was hard to deal with. 
but I, I could see, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> I was laughing as I was writing it, you know. Anyway, um, a new world and a new life, one that I never knew existed outside where I was, suddenly opened up. It suddenly opened up and now all of a sudden I, I felt hungry and I demanded food and it was given me. I felt cold and demanded clothing and, and it was given me. And I already had shelter. And then I was confirmed in my mind. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about my will. It's all about me. As I was a, I was a teen, as a teenager, I was still dependent. I was still dependent. But um, things were a little different again when I was a teenager. This time, not only was it all about me, but I was no longer ignorant of it. I knew it was all about me. In fact, I knew it all. I knew everything. And I knew I had a will that must be done, and it was my will that had to be done. So it was plainly time to move out. Message to you teenagers who know it all. It's time to move out. <laughs> and that's where my trouble began. That is where my trouble began. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the Gospel of Matthew. A perfect will is our aim. And there's nothing more wonderful but than to have an example of what our aim is. And we're looking at the Lord Jesus here. And it's Matthew chapter 26. We're looking at his... The time where he uttered these words, we're looking at the time that he prayed before the Lord. We're looking at a time that was just before he was going to be given for the sins of the world. Uh, a time that was, well, incredibly traumatic for him. And we're going to be reading from verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh to, unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Pray and watch that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. The Lord clearly understood his purpose. He knew why he was there. 
he, he knew why he was on his knees before his father. He also knew what was coming. He understood it. He understood it because he, he knew that, he was a per, that there was a purpose that he came. The Bible says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour in the Gospel of John. The Lord came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he, he knew that. He already knew that. That was his purpose. That's what he was here for. We, we've got an incredible account. We don't have many accounts of the Lord when he was really young, but we've got one in the Gospel of Luke. He was 12 years of age, the Bible tells us. And his parents were looking for him among the family. They had come into Jerusalem for the feast and they'd left and they couldn't find him. They actually travelled a few days and they realised they were without the Lord. And, um, and they went back to find him. And he simply said to them, um, why sought ye after me? Did you not know that I was to be about my father's business? Even at the age of 12, he understood that he was there not for his will, not for his purpose, not for his reason. He was there for a purpose. He was there for the father. He lived a life that was perfect and he is our example. He is our example of a man that was perfectly dedicated to the Lord and to the will of God to the point that he could say with Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job's, Job's an interesting character as well and, and what he went through. All right, he, he's, he's not God. And yet he went through a trial that was also worth looking at. Have a look at Job. Have a look at Job. Turn to the, turn to the book of Job. Chapter 1. The Bible says he was the greatest of all the men of the East. The greatest of all the men of the East was Job. He had incredible wealth. Incredible wealth. But he was to undergo a trial. And we're going to read a little bit here so you can understand and, and get the perspective from, from Job on what he went through. So Job's before the Psalms. So if you get to the middle of the book, turn left. Psalms is there. Job's is just before it. We're going to Job chapter 1. I read from verse 6. It's worth reading from verse 6 because verse 6, uh, a lot of this Job wasn't really privy to. So it's worth, worth us getting a little bit of an insight into what was going on. Verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. This is referring to the angels. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the works of his hands. And his substance is increased in the land. But put forth now thine hand and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now this is the trial here coming up. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters, Job's, Sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, 
The oxen were ploughing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking... There came also another and said, The Chaldeans made, and made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Incredible event that if you were to try to put yourself into that position, I don't know how you'd respond. I don't know how you'd respond. Here we have four individuals that have come in one after the other telling Job about what has just befallen him. All his wealth has just been taken away from him, completely stripped, including his entire family. Including his entire family. And yet he worshipped the Lord. He has a heart here already surrendered to the Father. He had a heart surrendered to the will of God. And he understood things that perhaps we don't quite understand. So we look at our lives, we look at our existence, and we look at it all now. We look at it about now. It's all about now. Maybe there's a bigger picture that we're missing. Maybe there's something that we're missing That maybe it's not all about here and now. Maybe here and now has an effect, but maybe it has an effect later on. If you know the story of Job, you'll know that his trials didn't end here. Satan went again back to God and and said, well, you know, skin for skin. He said to him, you know, man's going to give whatever he has, you know, but now touch his flesh and he's going to curse you to your face. You know, God said, go for it, do it. But spare his life. So he did that. Satan gave him boils from the foot right to the crown of his head. And he was scraping them with a potter, with a, with a peak of, piece of broken pottery to, to, to relieve the anguish and the pain and the itching and whatever else he was going through. And, uh, and that's not all. The love of his life, his wife, encouraged him with these words. Dost thou you know, still hold thine integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. Look, there's a lot of people today that would be going through some trials like that. And, uh, you know, that's exactly their response. That's exactly their response. You know, we, 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 it's still not the end of his trials. We, we, his three friends were yet to turn up. And if anybody of you know the story of Job, you know that his friends weren't exactly an encouragement for him. No matter what he was going through, though, by chapter 13, Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
Though he slay me. In verse, in uh, chapter 19, he goes on and he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at that latter day upon the earth. And though after worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Incredible, incredible amount of faith that this man has. He knew the Lord, and yet we don't have any indication in the book of Job of where he was from, what his birth line was. You know, we, we think that it's the oldest book in the Old Testament, and you know, perhaps it is, I, I don't know. But the point is, he had a heart already surrendered to God. He had already given his life to God, and his heart was surrendered to him. His whole, he had a whole bunch of questions that he was asking and trying to struggle with things. But he surrendered his entire life to God. We know people that aren't in the Bible that have done that. We know missionaries that have gone out of their way, don't we? We know missionaries that have given up everything here. All the luxuries, all the good things here. They, they, didn't, they didn't entertain sin for a season. They, they felt the call of the Lord upon their lives. They knew it was there and they went out. They went out. They're preaching to people that need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. They are giving up their own will and giving it completely to the Father. None of us do it perfectly. Job certainly didn't. If you've read the book of Job, you'll understand that he, he wasn't perfect either. You know, he got seriously rebuked. Jim Elliot was 26 years old when he gave his life for his missionary service, serving the Uka, Uka tribe, I can't remember the name of them, in Ecuador. And him and his, I think, four friends all died. All died, not even reaching these people, but they were killed by the people that they were sharing the gospel to. Do you know what he said? He was 26 years old when he said this. He said, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Wow, what, an incredible, what an incredible thing to say. But how true. Do you understand what Jim Elliot was saying here? He understood that life is not about now. It's not about what's happening now. Now is only important in res with respect to how you were going to spend eternity. He is reaching a people that the Lord died for. These are the people that are a reward of his suffering, of our Lord's suffering. That's a perfect will. A will that is completely dedicated to the Lord. And not thy will, mine be done. You know, we, we seem to live that way from when we're really small children. And unfortunately and tragically, we're, we're living that way until ripe old ages today. You know, not willing to give ourselves up. Point two, a contrasted will. There's a passage here that I want you to consider. Job, Job did go through some, some real trials. Yet it was our Lord who sweated blood for what he was to go through. Turn your Bibles to Luke 22. It's, a, it's the portion where we find... This event, this is the event that, that parallels what actually happened in Matthew's gospel. So if you understand the gospels, we understand that they're all speaking about the, uh, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all speaking about it from four different perspectives. Luke, we know, is a physician. He's a doctor. And he understood what was happening here. And he gives a description that we don't find anywhere else in Scripture. If we go to Luke chapter 22, we're just going to read from verse 39. Just a few verses. 
And he came out, out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more, more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Two things, two things that I want you to just take out of this just quickly. First is, whatever it was that Job went through is nothing to compare to what the Lord Jesus Christ is about to face. Hematohydrosis is the condition. It's when the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood occurring under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. Acute fear and intense mental contemplation are the most frequent causes. causes. Very, very rare. The most famous cases are Leonardo da Vinci's description of a soldier who sweated blood before battle and Jesus Christ prior to his crucifixion in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Cases are also known of men on death row. Interesting, isn't it? So many things that we find in Scripture that we find science has already verified. Oh, not already verified, later verified. You know, he sweated blood. Yeah, never would have thought it was possible. And here we see that we've got a basically a dictionary description of what sweating blood is, and they actually mention the Lord Jesus Christ in there. But unlike Job, who didn't know what was ahead of him, but responded to a shock event in his life, Jesus not only knew, this is the second point I want you to think about here, Jesus not only knew what he was about to go through, but had the power and the ability to withdraw. What he did was voluntary. What the Lord Jesus did was voluntary. Yeah, he was taken. He was taken to be crucified, that's true. But in John chapter 10, verse 17, he says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And don't forget his rebuke of Peter. When he came to defend Jesus in the garden and struck the guard with the sword, Jesus said, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? In Matthew chapter 26, our Lord had a heart to do the father's will. He had a heart fully dedicated to do the Father's will. He had a heart surrendered to God's will completely. And from a young age, we already saw that. And that is where the decision lies, brethren, lies within our hearts. It's your heart that's going to make that decision. It's not going to be your head, I'm afraid. It's not going to be your head. It's going to be your heart that's going to make the decision. The same heart that needs to make the decision to accept Christ as Lord and Saviour is the same heart that has to make the decision to completely surrender and give your life to him. Completely. Completely. Did I say completely? Absolutely and completely. 
The contrasted will of the Son. This is amazing. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. I don't see it anywhere else in the Bible. I don't see anywhere else in the Bible where we've got a distinction between the will of the Son and the will of the Father. There's a distinction in the wills here. So the will of the Son at this point was not to take of that cup. What was it? What was it that was agonizing him? What was it that was sweating blood? We have a distinction in those two wills. That might offend you. It certainly did me when I looked at it and I thought, not my will, but thine be done. He's speaking about a rejection of the one will and an acceptance of another. Isn't it? Makes it clear. I haven't seen that anywhere else in the scriptures. And he asked the Lord three times, three times to remove this cup. Three times he asked to remove it. But what was the cup? What the Lord Jesus Christ was about to go through was greater than any man has ever suffered. Now, the Bible teaches that his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men in Isaiah 52. And we also know that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief in Isaiah 53. And that they pierced his hands and his feet and that all his bones were out of joint in Psalm 22. And that it was he that was wounded in the house of his friends in Zechariah 13. And we also understand that he said, this is his words, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting in Isaiah 50. Was it that? Maybe it was the excruciating torture of the cross. Maybe, maybe that's what he was sweating blood over. Maybe, maybe that's the cup that he wanted passed on, that he, he, he asked the Lord three times to remove it. Maybe it's that, the excruciating pain of the cross. That's interesting, you know. You know, the very word excruciating comes from the Latin ex cruce, which means of the cross. The very word that speaks about the epitome of the pain that man can go through refers to the cross. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, maybe it was that. Maybe, maybe it was that. Not my will, but thine be done. The physical torment of the Lord, though more severe than any of us could probably consider, and that I'm sure none of us would voluntarily want to put ourselves through. But is this the cup? I'm, I'm belaboring this point because I want you to understand that it was his will and it was voluntary. And I want you to consider a couple of things. Maybe, maybe it was that he would bear the sins and the judgment of the sins of the whole world, yours and mine. Look, I, I, can't, I can't comprehend the thought that any single human can stand under the eternal weight of God's wrath in hell. I, I, can't, I can't even fathom that. I can't fathom it. I, I, I don't understand how any man can retain the strength to be able to stand under God's judgment in hell. I don't, I can't comprehend of it, okay? I mean, we're talking God. We're not talking another man. We're talking judgment and hellfire. It hurts me when I singe my finger, you know? I've got a wood-fired stove at home and, and I have to wear gloves just to put stuff in. The Bible refers to the fires of hell, what about a furnace for an hour? Uh, how will a body stand the fires of hell for all eternity? 
How? What strength will be retained by the strongest of men when the fire is never quenched? Jesus' words are these. Listen, listen carefully. We, we often think about, about, about uh, all the fluffy stuff sometimes in the New Testament. We don't listen to the words of Christ. We don't listen to what he says. Understand what he was giving himself up for. Understand what he was worried about. Understand what he was concerned about more than anything else. He is warning of the truth of this. And he says in Mark chapter 9, he says, If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that, that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Third one, if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Brethren, this is, this is not a fire that, that, that we can understand. This, this isn't, this isn't you know, what's out there in the pit. It's not that sort of fire. Remember, hell wasn't created originally for man. Hell wasn't for man. It was created for the devil and his angels. This is a fire that's going to burn the soul of man. Now, these angels can walk over that fire. That's not a fire that's going to burn them. That's not a fire that's going to be tormenting them. This is one that will be tormenting the angels in hell. And because of our fallen state, because we have sinned, because of the very state that we are, we were at risk of that. And those that aren't saved are still at risk of that. Okay? And it is... Not time bound. It's not time bound. This is this is eternal. There's no hope of recovery. There's no hope of a cool tongue by a drop of water. Now, if all the sand and all the dust of the earth were were, were being able to identify it in years, and you can put them all together in years, you may have hope at the end of all of that that you'll be set free. There might be hope, even if all the sand and all the dust of the earth was was counted. There's no such thing. There's no hope. There's no hope. And you've got that famous quote by Dante in his book, Inferno, who stands at the gate of hell and he sees the sign up there and it basically says, Abandon all hope, ye that enter here. There is no hope. There's no hope in hell. I understand part of our will. Part of our will is to do the Father's will. We understand what we've been commanded to do as, as, as children of the Lord. We understand what we've been commanded to do as brethren. You know, he's given us the commission. Ah, we've got too many other things on though, haven't we? We've got to make sure we catch that footy game. We've got to make sure that our career is right in front of us. We know it is what it is that we want to do, you know, when we grow up. You know, as long as we've got that in check, we're, we're, we're right. You know, that's the most important thing. Our Lord died for you. And you're saved. You know the Lord. And we're walking past people every single day. Now, I'm convicting myself here too. Don't, don't think that I'm a, you know, precious with this. But So can we possibly comprehend what Jesus endured that matched that same wrath, that same wrath in three days and three nights for the entire world? 
I can't comprehend a single man in hell. How can I possibly comprehend what the Lord went through during that time? How can I understand it? Maybe it was that. Maybe it was that. Or maybe something else. Maybe that for the first time in eternity past, a relationship would be altered to the point that the personal endearment, my father, would be changed to a distant petition. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At the most pivotal point in history, the moment that effectively marks our division of years, the dating of which each one of you marks your birth, the change of the old to the new, the beginning of the church and a new dispensation fulfilled in this event, the culmination of the very reason Christ, the Messiah, the Saviour, came into this world fulfilling the very purpose of the Father and rather than comfort, he feels forsaken. Man, I, I, I can't get my head around that. I can't get my head around it. I don't understand it. And yet it was his will to do that for us. So we wouldn't. So I can see why in this instant only the will of the son could be contrasted with that of the father. The Bible says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Is that not an understatement? Is that not an understatement? Jesus had a perfect will in the decision to abandon his own. Contrasted will of man. Second part of the second point. An incredible event in world history, don't you think? We got the nation of Israel came into Egypt with a family of just over 70 people. They found themselves in bondage there for 400 years. Awaited a deliverer in Moses. The people whom God had brought out with a strong hand and at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, God had called up Moses and wrote his own, with his own finger, the Ten Commandments in stone. And that's found in Exodus chapter 20. So I want to touch on a couple of things. These commandments, these commandments are the base of all our entire legal system. Did you know that? The Westminster system is based on the Ten Commandments of the Bible. Those Ten Commandments of the Bible and the Westminster legal system is a part of Australian law. It's also a part of the United States law. It's a part of all Western society's laws. All of Europe follows the same laws, all based on the same Ten Commandments. These same Ten Commandments are now being ripped up all over the place especially in the United States, by the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. They believe that it's a, um, there needs to be a separation between church and state. So this, this, this stone monument that's set up in the Supreme Court in the United States in varying municipalities has to be pulled away and pulled down. We need to forget that there were commandments. We need to forget that these commandments aren't ours. We need to think that we come up with our own laws. And it's a really good idea to do that because if we come up with our own laws, then we have the ability to control all of mankind. Isn't it? If the law comes from me. You know, in the, um, the trials of Nuremberg, Nuremberg trials, the Nazi war criminals were to uh, be tried at the Nuremberg trials for their war crimes. They killed and slaughtered a whole bunch of Jews and, and a whole bunch of other people, uh, Negroes, homosexuals, you name it. They, they weren't really fussy as long as, as long as they weren't, you know, white, Aryan race with nice blue eyes that they could start a new race. Um, they were happy to kill them. Um, and 
those trials were really, really interesting as far as their legal right was concerned. So the legal right of those trials were questioned by the Nazi officers because the Nazi officers said, we didn't do anything wrong. We are a sovereign nation. We are a sovereign country. You can't try us based on those laws. Your laws. We had our laws and we obeyed our laws. We obeyed our laws. We did what was legal in our country to do. You, you recognise there is a distinction between what is legal and what is moral? Right. What is legal is not necessarily moral. Okay? And what is moral is not necessarily legal. Keep an eye on your Bible. There will be a time when the King James Bible will be made illegal to read. Mate, once they pass these laws with respect to the Marriage Act and stuff like that, good luck reading from Romans chapter 1 and not being taken to court. It's going to be a challenge, I'm telling you. Nuremberg trials, fascinating stuff. So how did they try these men? How did they try these people? When it's true, you know, they're, they're law, they had a sovereign nation. How could they try them? Well, a man stood up and he said, there is a law above that law. It's a universal law about murder and about killing. So we're made in the image of God, aren't we? That's why it's not right to murder. When you murder someone, you're effectively killing the image of God. And guess what? It was accepted. And the Nuremberg trials now had legal precedent. Legal precedent based on man? No. Not legal precedent based on man. Legal pre precedent based on the commandments of God. That's where that came from. Amazing, isn't it? And yet... We're tearing it all up now. We, we really don't want that because we don't want any recognition of God within anywhere. The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. How'd you go? Car, job, girl. Hey, these are all things that we can worship. The things that I worshipped. No, you guys are all good. Didn't do any of that. <laughs> thou shalt make no graven images. That's no form or comeliness. Yeah, no graven images of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? You know, you go to a Catholic church and they've got all these graven images of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? He always looks good. I can't get over how he looks like a blonde-haired, blue-eyed surfer guy. You know, he looks fantastic. The Bible actually says that he had no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. A bit of a contrast to what it actually says about Satan, believe it or not. This was an angel of light. I'm sure he's going to be a very charismatic individual. I, I don't mean, sorry. <laughs> Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Blasphemy. I was a new Christian and I was at a men's thing, you know, and they had all these, all these, all these cars, you know. So it was a Christian men's event and they had all these, mate, souped up cars. They look grouse, you know. They had those ones that go around the Thunderdome and stuff. Anyway, one guy started up his Commodore and it was so loud. It just came out. You know, it frightened me. I didn't know I said anything wrong. The pastor put his arm around me and he goes, we're still working on this one. <laughs> True story. Blasphemy. Taking the name of the God that gave you life, that gave you breath, that who's... who's whose very mouth and tongue he created you use to bring his name down to be a swear word. Blasphemy. No one? You're all good. Fantastic. That's really good. You're doing well. 
Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Won't even go there. There's so many people that use the Sabbath day for anything other than keeping it holy. Honour thy father and thy mother. Okay. Thou shalt not kill. There's an indication in scripture that hating a brother without cause is effectively killing them. Ever done that? Ever, ever thought of a person that your life would be better served if that person didn't exist? Ever happened to you? Okay, I thought I did all right until I got to reading Jesus' explanation of that. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Haven't done that. Jesus, lust equals adultery. Oh, to look at a woman. Oh, no. Okay, all right, well, I'm, I'm done there. You guys are all right, though, yeah? You've never done that? You've never looked to lust? No? Never committed adultery? Wonderful stuff. Thou shalt not steal, blown that one. Thou shalt not bear false witness, that's effectively lying. Thou shalt not covet. Hey, covet's an interesting one, you know. Covet's one that you can cover. <laughs> you can covet like mad and nobody will have a clue that you're coveting. It's lusting, yeah, it's the same sort of thing. Have is gone. I'm afraid to tell you I've blown all ten. I've blown all ten. Imagine the Ten Commandments as a chain of ten links. You're hanging off the bottom chain. Below you is a very, very crusty, very, very thin surface under which there is the pit of hell with the fires that can't be quenched. All you have to do is break one of those links and you are condemned. You are condemned to the fires of hell for all eternity. Remember the Bible says that the law came to reveal our sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. In a nutshell, this is the fundamental will of God for man, that you would be saved. The fundamental will is found there in those Ten Commandments. Obey those Ten Commandments and effectively you are obeying God. Okay? We can't keep them. But it's there. King Solomon actually said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. But man has a generally different opinion on this. Rather than obeying God's laws, as we've just noted, and I'm pretty sure you've all failed, all of you have broken them, but we would rather do our own will. Oh, I wonder where that comes from. This is the contrasted will of man. Not thy will be done. My will be done. Did you see the contrast between the will of man and the will of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ had a contrasted will, didn't he not? Did he not? He had a contrasted will. He didn't want to go through what he was going to be going through. But did it anyway. He submitted his will to the Father. What do we do? We perform our own will. 1904, Alistair Crowley wrote what has become to be known as the Satanic Bible. It was called at that time the Book of the Law. It was the Satanic Bible. In the first chapter of this book, he penned that the primary way to worship Satan, the greatest Satanic commandment. You know how we've got a great commandment? You know, they say, Lord, what is the greatest of the commandments? And we've got, love the Lord thy God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Okay. If you want to worship Satan, 
According to the Satanic Bible written by Alistair Crowley, who was worshipped by musicians and entertainers right across the world, in chapter 1, verse 40, it's simply this. Do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Incredible, isn't it? Incredible. This has been preached by entertainers since the, at least the 1950s. A couple of quotes. I'm free to do what I want any old time. Rolling Stones. It's my life and I'll do what I want. The animals. You've got to go where you want to go. Do what you want to do. Mamas and papas. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Isley Brothers. Do what you want. Do what you want. The Beach Boys. Oh, that was old. They don't do that today, do they? No. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Mercedes. It's your, it's your thing. I can do any... Oh, look at this. Listen, this is a quote by Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey is the founder of the Church of Satan. Okay? He's the founder. I don't like bringing this sort of stuff in, but you have to understand the natural heart of man, and that's what I'm trying to bring up. Okay? So bear with me. Listen to what he said. He said, I can do anything that I want to do. I can pursue any kind of lust or desires and feel I can engage in any activities that are so-called sinful activities and not really worry about any ecumenical councils making it right for me to do these things. Anton LaVey, founder of the Church of Satan. I did it my way. Come on, who's saying I did it my way? Frank Sinatra. Like Frankie said, I did it my way, Bon Jovi. I did it my way, Sid Vicious, that was interesting. I did it my way, Elvis Presley. I done it my way like the song says, said Freddie Mercury from Queen. I said I'm free to do what I want any old time, soup dragons. Do what you want to do, whatever, whatever, whatever you choose, vitamin C. I do what I feel like doing, so let me go, Britney Spears. Do what you want to do, go out and seek your truth, Alison Chains. I am what I am, I'll do what I want to do, Dodo. Do what I want, because I can if I don't, because I want to. The hives. That's, that's, uh, that's modern English for you. <laughs> do what you want to do. There ain't no rules. It's up to you. Michael Jackson. Off the wall. Life is ours. We live it our way. Metallica. Nothing else matters. I will live by my own policies. Sinead O'Connor. Just like Eve in the Garden of Eden. Not only do they do what they want to do, but they credit the heart as a truthful and reliable witness. The Bible says that the heart, that he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. It also says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17.9. This is an important point for tomorrow. Please get this. This is an important point for tomorrow's message. Okay? Because when we desire to do the will of God, we often do it following our own heart. There's a key there that you need to be very, very careful of. Because if you are following your own heart, thinking that your heart is doing God's will, be very careful because the Buddhists feel exactly the same way. Okay? These people feel exactly the same way. Most of the world does exactly the same thing. In the end, you're actually doing what you want to do. Where's the will of God found? And we'll, we'll talk about that tomorrow. And I know that um, Pastor is going to talk about that as well. Eve considered the truth of God's words, but determined that she would be the ultimate arbiter of truth. She would decide whether or not God has said. It's going to be up to Eve. Rather than believing God at his word, she would now decide. Interesting thing, what happened? What happened? Who did she obey in the end? 
It's amazing, isn't it? She obeyed Satan. By, by, by disobeying God, she obeyed Satan who told her to eat. What do we do again? Do what we want to do? Who are we obeying? Whose prime commandment are we obeying? Is natural man obeying? Satan's own commandment, according to two of the leading Satanists the world, the world has ever seen. It's amazing. My heart is the ruler of all my being. If my heart tells me it's true, that's good enough for me. Jennifer Lopez. I have come this far with the truth of the heart. Melissa Etheridge. This whole blank world can fall apart. You'll be okay. Follow your heart, new radicals. Let your heart lead your mind, armadillos. Listen to your heart, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Listen to your heart, Roxette. The heart won't lie, Reba. When you follow your heart, Thumbelina. Starts with us young, mate. The preaching starts young, I'm telling you. Listen to your heart, girl. When people in your life try to tell you what is right, what do you do? <laughs> Listen to your heart, girl. Because the heart's not going to lie to you. <laughs> ah, I should be up here singing, don't I? Ah, it's me. Sonic Underground. The truth is all within yourself, Motley Crue. Trust your heart, let faith decide to guide these lives we see. Phil Collins in Two Worlds. Why second guess what feels so right? Just trust your heart and you'll see the light. Stevie Wonder. What we see is the very lie in the Garden of Eden precipitated through mankind through all history. We see it. It's the natural contrasted will of man. If there's anything... Oh, listen to this. This is an interesting quote by Gnosis Magazine. Gnosis Magazine is a satanic magazine. It promotes witchcraft and speaks about it. Here, it's actually teaching or telling you about the teaching of Satanism. Okay? Look at this. This is their quote. 1999, they said this. If there is anything horrifying in Satanism's teaching or in its teachings is that these are the principles by which most of the people live most of the time, usually without it admitting it even to themselves. Gnosis, number 50, winter edition, 1999, page 29, by the way, if you want to look it up. Amazing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? Cast your mind back to the garden. When Eve rejected God's will, she obeyed the devil. Nothing's changed. So when we consider these words, not my will but thine be done, what three letters are changed in that? Isn't it amazing you actually keep that sentence exactly the same? All you do is shift a T and a Y and an M. Like that. And you've got not thy will but mine be done. This is the natural state of man. Describes your natural state. Recognise it, understand it. It's a satanic state. This is why we fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And this is why hell that was reserved for the devil is also the place that is reserved for every man that won't submit themselves to the Lord. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ died. To save you and I from this. There is no other way. You can't be good enough. We've already established that, haven't we? We've already established we can't be good enough. This is why he had to die. This is why he took the sins of the whole world onto him. Third and last point, a spirit that is willing. This is our start. This is our start. You must be born again. 
If you've got your Bibles there, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. If we don't we don't understand that this is the very foundation of our will. This is the first point. This is the very first point. To, to obey the Lord. You can't start anywhere else but here. This is the first point of your starting and obeying, and obeying the will of God. First, First Timothy chapter 2 verse 3. He says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Turn forward to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. A few books on, after Hebrews, James, you've got Peter there. I want you to see it in the word of God, because if there's anything that's going to change your heart, with respect to the Lord's will, it's the word of God. Chapter 3, verse 9. And the Lord the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord Jesus made it really clear in the Gospel of John. He said, He that believeth him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. First point in fulfilling God's word is to obey the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that which you need to obey first. Do you hear what I said? I'll say it louder. Your first step in obeying the Lord and following his will is to obey the gospel. Interesting, isn't it? It's an obedience. It's an obedience whose benefit is all yours. It's amazing. We obey and we are blessed. Oh, I, I, I thought I'm doing His will. Yeah. And doing His will blesses you. That's not just the beginning, but that's the end of our life. It's all of our life. So let me ask you a question. Those of you that don't know the Lord, all you have to do is answer these questions within your heart. You can do it right now. You can do it in the privacy of your own will. Three questions that I want to ask you. And you answer this in your own heart. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins? Do you believe it? Will you trust him with your soul forever? If you've answered yes in your heart, you've believed by faith. That's it. That is the way of salvation. We do it by faith, believing in the one who did it all. 
We can't go through what he went through. We can't go through it. He did it for all of us. For those of you that have known the Lord for any time before coming here to this camp, and have you know that I was born again and mercifully saved at the age of 29. The only part of his will that I can say for sure I trusted was my salvation and baptism. But for the next six years, I continued to live according to my will, my way. And I was miserable, absolutely miserable. I struggled with depression for nearly 10 years because I was still trying to live my will my way. If there's anything that I'd like you to understand tonight, it's that there is a way of living that leads unto life. A way that leads unto death. One path is blessed, the other cursed. One is the way and will of God, the other is the way and the will of the devil. Without a heart surrendered completely to God, you cannot please him. Hebrews chapter 11 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. No strings, guys. No right of veto. God's will isn't imposed on you, and then you have the right of veto. You accept it. For his glory, that he may receive the reward of his suffering. You are his reward. You are his reward. And every person you don't share the gospel with is another part of the reward that he's not receiving for his suffering. I think he suffered. And I think he suffered more than we have any capacity to bear or understand. Let's pray. Father, we, we rejoice, dear Lord, and we desire more than anything else, dear Father, to humble ourselves before you, to trust in your name, to trust in your word, I pray, dear Father, that you would convict and convert the hearts of those here that may still be wondering. Lord, I ask, dear Father, you would work within their hearts, converting their soul, that they will come to the knowledge of their Lord and their Saviour, that they would indeed bow the knee, that not their will, but yours be done. Please be with us, dear Lord, for the rest of this evening. Bless our time together. Bless our fellowship, our communion. I pray, dear Lord, bless our eternity. In Jesus' most glorious, most precious and wonderful name we pray. Amen.